Hi, my name is Hua, and this is The Spoken World. As a Nigerian spoken word artist, I deal with a lot of my emotions better by putting words down to express myself. Over the years, I found out that a lot of people actually relate to what I write and how I feel. Some ask questions about the circumstances and my inspiration for the pieces I compose. So I decided to start up a podcast where, every week, I'll play one of my poems and discuss some of the issues I, or rather, we, face, and have some fun sharing our experiences. The name of the first piece is Please Stay. Martin was five when his parents had a divorce. He was shared six months a year between his father and his mum. He had his own room and enjoyed the spoils of his family alone. Though blessed, he had a weakness the big house he lived in could never be called home. They had an arrangement to both of his parents to come live in the big house when it was their turn. He loved to have his mother around but dreaded the time he'd spend with his dad. You see, his father had a different view of discipline, though Martins would rather enjoy thinking he was insane. There were days when he was always on his toes to avoid extreme punishments, some he did without his clothes. Anyway, that was years back. Martins was 25 and he could see his father whenever he liked. He tried his best to keep it at the bare minimum, birthdays, Christmas and forced family get-togethers at the regular sports club. Today, Today was his dad's birthday and he had to go visit, he just had to, though he didn't like it. His father showed up at the doorstep full of smiles, Martins never expected that reaction for a bottle of wine. His father laughed and said that he looked the same then asked if he stayed to watch the game. Familiarity made Martins uncomfortable so he bade farewell and made to head home. His father's face fell at the start of his words and Without warning, he read out a verse. Since the time you were born, you never knew me as a father for very long. I drank and spat and called you names, only ever stopped when your mother came. It's been years, son, and I've tried so hard to make all of those memories be a thing of the past. I ask for your forgiveness, and on this day, if you really do love me, then please stay. Martins felt something he never felt in front of his father. He felt guilty and that made him angry. He wasn't the one who messed up the memories or treated anyone with any less dignity. If anything, he was the victim. So why make him out to be the bad person? Martins left the house without a word and never visited for over six months. That was until he got the news his father was dying and that got him confused. His father was just 58. Surely there had to be some sort of mistake. Unfortunately, he was in for a surprise. His father had long since suffered lung cancer. The sight of him tore Martin's hat out, the look in his eyes as misty as clouds. Martin's father lay on a hospital bed with white floors and white ceiling over his head. Even in his state, his father smiled and that broke something inside him and made Martins cry. Martins found himself beside his father night and day and would whisper to his unconscious father every day. 
Since the time I was born, I never knew you for a father for very long. You drank and spat and called me names you only ever stopped when my mother came. It's been years and you've tried so hard to make all those memories be a thing of the past. I already forgive you, Father, and on this day, if you really do love me, then please stay. He felt a fresh bout of shame when he saw how much his father was in pain. He should have cared more, loved more. He thought of the things he could have done before. Before this happened, how could he make things right sure his father he was forgiven? Just like other days when his father woke up, he moaned, groaned, and muttered a curse, and Martins would laugh as he got up to get to nurse. Today, however, his father held on to his hand and forced Martins to look at him and understand. Martins tried to talk, shout, cry. He could read the words right there in his father's eyes. Since the time we were born, never knew me as a father for very long. I drank and spat and called you names, only ever stopped when your mother came. It's been years, son, and I've tried so hard to make all those memories be a thing of the past. And now that I know that I am alone, my very last wish is that you let me go. Martins did nothing but stared, read, reread, and chanted the message in his head. How could his father think like that? Think he would just let him die? His father did that thing again where he just looked at him and smiled. So there he was holding his father. Neither of them could utter a word. It was the world's fastest countdown with the room so quiet to forget there's such a thing as sound. He watched his father's eyelids flutter and felt his father's grip falter. Before he caught himself, he'd started to weep. In the deafening silence, the monitor beeped its last beep. Our first guest is Susan Llewellyn. Susan is a poet and the founder of Buy Me Poetry. She unites and distinguishes poets from around the world. Today we'll be discussing one of my heartfelt pieces, Please Stay, a story of love lost, family, and forgiveness. Let's welcome Susan. Hello. Hello, Susan. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm good. Hi, oh my gosh, we finally did it. Yes, I did. How, how do I say your name? Hua. 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 Yes, yes. Nice to meet you, Hua. Nice to meet you too, Susan. Thank you so much for Can doing this. Can I put this. you on speaker? That's okay, no problem. I'm happy to help. <laughs> so, um, tell us a bit about yourself, Susan. Well, Hua, I'm a mother of three. I live in Melbourne, Australia, which I've lived all my life. Uh, I'm married. I've just written a book called uh, How I Forgot to Sleep, which is a poetry book about my life. I ran my own business for 14 years. I worked in the fashion industry for another 10. I don't know. What else would you like to know? I can't (laughs) think of anything else at the moment. You're the founder of By Me Poetry. Yes, that's correct. 
Um, what's that about? Well, what it's about is um, I started it about two years ago. It's basically a multi sort of platform where we try to feature poetry and poets from around the world. So we've got a big online presence on Instagram with a number of pages. I think I think we might have eleven Instagram pages. We have a website and we also publish anthologies. Essentially what we're about is bringing people together from around the world to share their poetry on our Instagram pages and somehow have a platform where we can connect poets from all different regions of the world with all different unique voices um, and points of view. That, that sounds a lot like what I'm doing with this podcast, so I feel very lucky that we were able to connect this way. Yes, well, I didn't even know what line was, so that you've <laughs> introduced me to that, which is which is great. I, I've only really used Skype and only very infrequently, but yes, it brings us all a lot closer together, uh, which is a wonderful thing and a great and a great benefit to us all. I think. What made you start the Buy Me Poetry? What made me start it? Did yes. You say? Well, basically, what happened, I started just posting some of my own poems on Instagram. So I just posted a few poems and all of a sudden immediately I got an immediate reaction from people from all around the world and I thought, well, this is amazing. Um, I was sort of used to having my own business page where, you know, it's hard to get followers unless you spend a lot of money on advertising. But for some reason having uh, poetry was something that really connected with other people from around the world. And I thought this is wonderful because as a writer, all I've really ever wanted to do was to actually just have other people read what I was writing. That's the great beauty of And so what happened is I thought, oh, well, what if I decided to get a few more people involved? Wouldn't that be a great thing? There already seemed to be such a wonderful community already amongst the Instagram poets and I thought well what if I could tap into that and somehow bring people from around the world into one sort of place. I arrived at the name purely because people were posting all these things on the buy me hashtag that were about food and about lifestyle and I thought well what about if I just do buy me poetry and um, make it into a page. So I, I did that and one of our first pages was buy me poetry Africa Australia, and then we did an, a- an America page and an Asia page, and then finally a Europe page. With every page, it's just attracted a different um, audience. And the, the one thing that I did notice is that when I was looking for poetry, I couldn't work out where anyone was from. No one was putting up their their countries of origin on any of their handles or any of their usernames and there was no hashtag that could tell you where all the poets were from and I thought oh this is really sad because what if you what if you're a business and you you wanted to hire a writer or what if you're you know somewhere you, you know you're a writer in Melbourne and you wanted to connect with other writers how could you do that if you didn't know where anyone else lived so that was the other idea was to make these regional pages um, come to life so that people could somehow connect. Yeah, exactly. So, um, Susan, what did you think of the piece, uh, Please Stay? I loved the piece. It was it was beautiful. Did you write that? Who, who wrote I, that? Uh, yes, that was me. 
Oh, very, very, very good, I thought. Very, very heartfelt and very um, powerful and um, raised a lot of uh, questions for me. My interpretation of the story, <laughs> it's quite a wonderful story. It's very well written, very well written. But it's sort of like um, a bit of a parable. It has moral sort of uh, and eth asks ethical questions of us in the sense of, um, you know, can we forgive? What is forgiveness? What is love? Can we forgive our abuser? Uh, abuse and mistreatment sort of builds up walls between people and how do we bring them down and how do we move on from them? Uh, but in the end, I would say that, that the son does get forgiveness from his father and also the father gets forgiveness from the son because the son allows him to go in peace into another life. So I think it's a very beautiful story and it's incredibly well written and you should be very proud of yourself for, for writing that. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, it's a long answer. <laughs> well, long ball, well appreciated. I'm so happy that you were able to get the story and that you loved it. I did love it. It was, it was beautiful and I wish I could hear it. Um, you saying it and reading it out loud, you know, in a in a live sort of sense, because it's incredibly powerful and just goes to show, you know, how how amazing and transformative the spoken word can be to people, because you're able to move me on the other side of the planet, <laughs> um, and also to bring up also my experience I had with my parents because I lost my parents at a young age around about this my lost my father around about the same time as as the son in the story lost his father but I also lost my mother when I was 14 and the two experiences of them going were quite different um, but neither one was I able to be in the room with them when they passed so with my mother she basically um Passed as I walked out of the room, uh, she had, the nurse had handed me a necklace I'd given that was hanging around my mother's neck. She gave that to me, and no sooner had I left the room that my mother died. And then, when with my father, he, he um, we arrived. We'd been sitting at his bedside for about three days. All of our family. Our, I've got six children in my, in, or six, five siblings. I should say I'm the sixth. We were all sitting around, um, you know, holding his hand for days and days and days. And then, lo and behold, we get a, we've all gone home for a break. And lo and behold, when we were at home, the nurses have rung us in the hospital and said, you better come quickly because your father looks like he's going. Um, anyway, my sister, who had two small little children, kept on taking forever to get ready and get the children into the car. And so it wasn't her fault, of course, but... It, there was just this because I'd lost my mother and hadn't been there at the time, and none of it, none of the other siblings had been with her either. There was this sense that we all needed to get to be with our father in time to be there when he died. But lo and behold, we got there um, at the nursing home, and we arrived, and there was a nurse crying in the hallway. And we walked into the room, and it had already gone, literally minutes before we arrived. So. But anyway, I got to spend some time, we all got to spend some time with him. But And the nurses said, you know, um, sometimes they often go, people often go when you're not in the room with them because 
that sort of is their way of saying that they're you're sort of letting them go. So it's sort of similar experience, I think, from the boy in the in the um, story. So there you go. The piece, please stay. It was basically a, a collection of different experiences, different stories I'd heard from um, lots of people. Not even um, not just the people in Nigeria. I realized yeah. that well, most people, especially fathers and sons where I'm from, mm. I don't want to generalize, don't exactly have the best relationship. They're not very mm. healthy. Mm. And most sons grow up resenting their father. There's, there's this uh, resentment between them. And then there's this space. Mm. And you know, the the funny thing is the, the sons end up repeating the exact same mistakes their fathers made. They go on. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I was gonna say that, that there was a cycle that had been broken though in the story that yes, you wrote. Yes, exactly. That was it, that was another uh, reason why I even wrote it the way I did because this time around, you mm. know, it, you find that it's even when you forgive your father for whatever he's done, that is when you are taking a, a step to becoming um, a better person. Exactly, and I think that's one of the things that um, about a, an early death, you know, of a loved one can really trigger trigger some sort of change in people's consciousness you know and unf- but you know we shouldn't have to wait for that to happen to too but at the end of the day you know they're still your parents and they're still your father or their mother and you only have one father or mother and um if you can get some peace before they go isn't that a, isn't that a blessing thank you so much susan i had a lot of fun talking to you today thank you Hua. it's been a pleasure okay good to talk to you <laughs> The second piece is an excerpt from the book, Dirt in the Dust, written by the Nigerian author, Ivie M. A.K. My name is Ivie A.K. I'm a Nigerian writer and author. I'm going to read an excerpt from my novel, Dirt in the Dust. In this scene, one of the main characters, Imade, has been invited to dinner with her boss and his wife. I sat savoring each spoon of my strawberry ice cream and brownies served as dessert when Mr. Grotham asked, Imade, Matilda and I were wondering if you are in a relationship. I shook my head and replied, no, not at the moment. The Grothams exchanged a look. I wondered if they wanted to match make me with one of their British friends and made a note to myself to practice my British accent later. Would you be opposed to a threesome with Matilda and I? Even though Mr. Grotham had been looking right at me when he asked the question, I found myself looking over my shoulder in case there was someone standing behind me. I don't... What? I looked at Matilda, but the expectant look on her face told me that Mr. Grotham had actually asked the question. I... My voice came out as a squeak. I cleared my throat. Are you being serious? I asked, looking at both of them. Matilda smiled. We never joke about threesomes in my day. She shrugged. It's something we do to release tension, you know? 
No, I don't know, I wanted to say as I pushed my ice cream dish to the side. Part of me wanted to run out of their home screaming, but for some reason that I could not explain, I remained in my chair, still feeling the need to be polite. I'm sorry, but I don't feel like threesomes are for me, I said, not sure what I was apologizing for. Thank you for listening. Bye. Our second guest is a Nigerian author. Ivie M. Eke writes poems, short stories, and essays on her blog. Today we'll be discussing her experience as an indie author in Nigeria. And of course her book, Dirt in the Dust. Hello. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Ivie? I'm very fine, thank you. Yeah. Welcome to the Spoken World Podcast. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, how about you tell us a bit about yourself, Evie? Okay. My name is Evie A.K. I'm a Nigerian writer from Benin City, Edo State, in Nigeria. I'm the second of three children. I have only brothers, no sisters. What else is interesting about me? I'm an introvert. My idea of a fun weekend is being surrounded by books, um, a comedy show on TV, maybe a YouTube video on my iPad that's playing and organizing, a video about organizing your house or something like that. That's That for me is my dream weekend. <laughs> that's the kind of person I am. Yes. Wow, we have like a lot of things in common because I'm from Edo State too. And I have four brothers, no sisters. Oh, I didn't. Oh, wow. Yeah. We need to talk more after this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So um, how long have you been writing? Well, I started my blog, Classically IV, almost three years ago. I started in October 2015. Well, honestly, I'll say I've been writing since I was a kid. Because I remember writing maybe during long holidays. I remember my mom would sit me and my brothers down to write stories. Mm. And I remember right from primary school, I was never worried about essays. Like English composition was my favorite thing. I remember by the time I got to secondary school, any subject that involved writing was my best subject. So English, government, Christian religious knowledge, then the subjects, I had a little bit of drawing, but a lot of writing. I would make sure my writing was really good because I couldn't draw. So <laughs> geography, biology, I would have better than average marks because there was a lot of writing involved. So I'll say I've always been a writer, but writing for public consumption, I'll say for three years. Your, let, let's talk about your, your book right now. The excerpts that... um we have on this episode had a controversial feel to it, you know, and the way okay. there's the, the way the Nigerians are like, well, what I know to be us for is pretending such, you know, acts, practices of threesomes don't exist, though we know that they do. We just like to be, you know, in denial. I want to know when you wrote, when, when you were writing this particular scene, did it ever like make you feel like maybe I shouldn't write this because of, you know, the ideals and all that society and whatnot? Did you ever feel like that? I didn't feel like that at all. It never crossed my mind 
at all. The, the idea for that scene, it came up a few years ago. I was reading one of these Nigerian blogs, we were talking about a scandal involving somebody caught in a threesome situation. So I'm back talking, I was, I was reading this thing with a friend of mine, and I, I cracked a joke like, wow, threesome, that sounds so complicated. And he just said, well, actually, it's not that complicated. And I was like, wow. And then he just casually told me his experience. And then after that, asking people casually about their experiences, I realized that I believe in a very, very sheltered life. Because apparently, in Nigeria, people are doing things. <laughs> so when I decided to write this story, this particular book, I wanted to put in this particular scene I knew that people, even though they wouldn't admit it publicly, maybe if you if you're able to get people in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, they might confide in you that actually this thing is not that it's not as scandalous as it sounds. Actually, this is something I've either been a part of or I know someone who's been a part of it. So it's actually not new. So no, it didn't occur to me to take out that scene. It's actually one of my favorite scenes in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, Dirt in the Dust is about, you know, secrets and marriage. Do you believe that sometimes yeah. secrets and lies are necessary in marriage? Okay, so I would start off saying I'm not married, so I will only make my own assumptions that definitely in a marriage, big, big situations like maybe, let's say, financial issues, hiding certain things from, from the partner, I would say that's that's very wrong. That there should be some clear communication about that. But I'm also thinking, if you're going to live with someone every day, you see the person every single day, I'm assuming little things like the wife saying, oh, yes, honey, I would love to watch this premiership match with you. I love football so much, even though she doesn't like football, just to keep the peace. Or the husband saying something like, no, honey, this food isn't too salty. In fact, I even feel we need more salt in our diets. Like, this is perfect. I think little things like that maybe will save you from not strangling each other mm -hmm. at night. But I would say for the bigger, serious issues, I think there shouldn't be secrets. How did you uh, develop the characters for the book, Imadi and Chuzo? What inspired you to create those personas, characters? I wanted to write a story about a young couple in Nigeria who, on the outside, they look like they've gotten their acts together. You know, they are both professionals. They are both in a, a healthy relationship and they are on the road to getting married. I didn't want to do write people who were from like a poor background. I just wanted to show that everybody, no matter what level you are in society, everybody is struggling with something. So Chibuzo, the guy, he is from a wealthy background. It's the kind from the kind of background that from childhood he, he was going on summer vacations in out of Nigeria. Just it was just normal for him. Imade is from a, I'll say, lower middle class Nigerian family. Both of us, her parents are civil servants in Benin. So, but she's a professional. So, on the surface, you look at them like, oh, these two people, they, they, you know, they are the Nigerian dream. They've gone through 
you know, academic institutions, they are graduates, they are, they are working, their parents are proud of them. But the reality is that both of them were struggling, struggling from things both from their childhoods, respective childhoods. And I wanted to tell their stories. I wanted to tell it in a slightly lighthearted manner so that people could really get into the, their stories. So that was my inspiration. I wanted to tell people the stories of people who, who look like they've gotten their acts together, but they are really struggling. Yeah. So um, living your dreams is a miracle in Nigeria if you are, you know, successfully living in Nigeria. We, we know about the usual limitations of light and water and excessive sunlight. And, you know, you have to... Yeah. Uh, let people know that your material is worth reading, you know, their time, especially if it's an ebook, their battery life and then their data. But um, writing is not a hobby. And though Nigerians read, I know it's it's very common that we don't we don't really sort for search for our own material, right? We look for foreign foreign materials to read it, except if you are um probably Chimamanda or Nedi Okorafor or um Tommy Adeyemi, I think. How is it like being a writer in Nigeria? Oof, where do I begin? So when I started out writing in 2015, so I would tell people, I'm a writer, I have a blog. And people would say, oh, you're a blogger. And then this whole conversation of trying to explain how I'm, I'm not a blogger, I'm a writer, I write stories, I write poetry, I write essays. And they're like, oh, okay. But you are blogging. As a, it, there was this whole, I kept going around in circles. That was the first struggle I had. Then when I started the blog and I was excited because when you start something creative, you want to tell everybody about it. So I was telling everybody, even people, just a simple, oh, if you, how are you? Like, well, you know, I'm a writer. I just started a blog. I'm just, I'm really excited. The number of people who, it took me a while to realize that not everybody I met was interested in reading. So that was already my first uh, challenge. So even though I, I had people in my life who were happy for me, they were proud of me, like, wow, you're doing this creative thing. Trying to get them to actually read what I had written was a struggle. So it's something I've learned now that I just focus my energy on people who already like to read. And when you, I feel it's as it's always the case, who knows how far this writing thing would go for me. Maybe when I'm at a certain level, maybe even the people who don't read for as a hobby will suddenly be interested in what I'm writing. So that was, the, that was one of the, my initial struggles. Then... I was pretty naive. I thought, you know what, now that I'm writing, everybody has to know about my writing. I need to be writing for as many blogs and as for as many websites as possible. So I started sending out my I started sending out pitches to different websites. I'm not going to name the websites. Um, a lot of them did not respond. A lot of them were patronizing in their responses. So maybe you don't hear from someone for a month. So you send a follow-up email and there's the, well, we received so many articles, so many 
poems. Like, we really don't... We'll get to yours eventually. No, none of those people ever got back to me. And then when I did have the opportunity to write for certain websites on a regular basis, the, one of the first questions, are you guys going to pay me? And the answer was, no, you know, we... Um, we uh, we don't have the budget to fund your salary. We also feel you should do this for the exposure. Mm-hmm. And besides, you're a freelance writer. In Nigeria, it's almost turning into an insult. Freelance writing does not mean writing for free. I've had to explain this to so many people. It just means that you're not affiliated with a single, maybe writing company or something. You, you, you are your own boss. So I, I, it's 2015, 2016, I, was, I still had the mindset that for me to prove to, I don't know who I was trying to prove to, but for me to prove to the world I'm a writer, I'm going to be writing for as many people as possible. And then by the time I discovered that they were not valuing my inputs, maybe for, in one case, I discovered that they were actually hiring writers for paid positions while I was writing for them for free. So I stopped doing that. I stopped writing for some other people. And I came back to myself and asked myself, why am I writing? I'm writing because it makes me happy. So I just went back to my blog, did just reassess what I was doing and continue. I still write for other people once in a while, but I don't feel, I feel I've already proven myself. And that's another thing I feel Writing in Nigeria, you just have to be very sure of yourself in what you have to offer. And also understand that you don't know everything, even though this is a talent, it's in you. Nobody really taught me how to write. I just I just know how to write. But then again, I know that there's so much to learn. So in this time, when I was when I came back to myself, like I like to say, I took some. I discovered uh, I think the UK Open University they have some free online courses about how to write fiction. So I took a course there. LinkedIn there are some creative writing courses. I took some courses, one or two courses there. Just made they made me realize that, that even though I, I didn't have any formal training, I was already on the right track. I just needed to improve little details about what makes a story spectacular. Something that will take your story from just being a good story to a spectacular story. The websites you applied for to write write for them, um, I'm not going to ask for their names, were they Nigerian um, websites? Yes. They were? Nigerian websites, yes. <sighs> Nigerians, um, no, like I'm a Nigerian and all. Certain websites yes. do not value do not value inputs that is given to them, especially if you come to them asking them that, hey, let me write for you or stuff like that. I've, I've had experiences with, with those kind of magazines before. Thank you so much for yeah. joining us today and uh, sharing your experience as a writer with you. Thank you so much. For, I've enjoyed talking about this. <laughs> yeah. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening till the end. If 
you've got anything to share considering the piece or the discussion, or if you even disagree with what we talked about, be sure to send a comment to huwa18 okoyomoh at gmail.com. That is hua18okoyomo at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at i period am period hua and on Twitter at hua underscore 97. Our theme song is brought to you by Memma Music. The podcast will be every Thursday from 4 p.m.